2 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 to 10. Hear the word of the Lord. This is the third time I am coming to you. Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. I warned those who sinned before and all the others, and I warn them now while absent, as I did when present on my second visit, that if I come again, I will not spare them. Since you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me, he is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. Examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless you indeed fail to meet the test? I hope that you will find out that we have not failed the test, but we pray to God that you may not do wrong, not that we may appear to have met the test, but that you may do what is right though we may seem to have failed. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. Your restoration is what we pray for. For this reason, I write these things while I am away from you, that when I come, I may not have to be severe in my use of the authority that the Lord has given me for building up and not for tearing down. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank You for Your Word. We pray that You would accomplish all of Your holy purposes in our lives today. That You would renew our minds. That You would save sinners. That You would comfort. That You would convict. That You would warn that you would test and prove, and that you would encourage your people. So bless us now with your presence by your Holy Spirit. We pray that your Spirit will take your Word and plant it deep in our hearts and produce a harvest of righteousness. In Jesus' name and for His glory, amen. You may be seated. As I stand before you today, I can tell you this, that marriage is sweeter after 30 years than even at the beginning. Tomorrow we celebrate our 30th anniversary and Charlotte, I want to I wanna commend you publicly for being a wonderful wife and mother and, uh, and a helpmate for me. Uh, we've had a precious marriage, and it's hard to believe that we've spent half of our marriage right here at Bull Street in Savannah. What a blessing. I love weddings, and there's a bunch of you out here that I've had the privilege of officiating uh, your wedding ceremonies and doing the pre-marriage counseling and spending time with you in marriage discipleship, but there's one thing about a wedding that's really special 
is that I get to speak to the couple right before they make their vows before the Lord and before the witnesses. I get to exhort them from the Scriptures. And it's really special because it's a personal time together and we've spent a lot of time together in behind the scenes in pre-marriage counseling. But I get to exhort them on how to follow Christ and put Christ first in their marriage. But what I hear over and over and over again from people who have come as witnesses and support to the couple, I've heard testimonies of people saying, I heard what you said to them, but that's what I needed to hear and I want to do that in my marriage. I want to change today and go a new direction in my marriage. I want to honor Christ. I want to put Christ first. And it's interesting because when you're, you're speaking intimately to a, a couple right before you, others are listening in and the Holy Spirit takes the word and in some people's lives almost goes in the back door. They're not even expecting it and changes their lives. And I'm praying that that would happen even this morning as we peer into a conversation or an exhortation that the Apostle Paul is having with the church at Corinth, a, a warning. He's, he's speaking really strongly to this congregation that he loves. And as we listen in on this, may the Holy Spirit take the Word of God and bring about life change in our hearts today. He tells us the purpose of, of why he's writing in verse 10. And if, if you pick up with me at verse 9, the second part, he says, your restoration is what we pray for. And, and that's the message of, uh, that's the title for this sermon, a deep desire for restoration. That was Paul's heart. He wanted this congregation to be restored to Christ and restored to himself as the apostle of Christ, for them to walk in the truth and to honor Christ with their lives. So he's praying for their restoration. That's, that's what he wants. And verse 10 says, For this reason I write these things while I'm away from you. In other words, he's telling them, this is the reason why I'm writing this whole letter. For this reason I write these things while I'm away from you that when I come I may not have to be severe in my use of the authority that the Lord has given me for building up and not for tearing down. He's telling them, I want you to listen to me. I want you to heed my warnings. I want you to obey Christ. I want you to repent of this, your sins turn away from your behavior. You've been in rebellion against Christ. You've been in rebellion against me and, and as I've been speaking the words of Christ to you and I'm praying for your restoration. I don't want to have to be severe when I come. And that's what he's writing the letter for is so that they will repent and return and he'll be able to get there and embrace them with a holy kiss as dear brothers and sisters in Christ. 
So because of a deep desire for the Corinthians' complete restoration to Christ and himself, and because he wants to avoid having to be severe on his third visit, even though he's prepared to do whatever is necessary for their good and for their building up, the Apostle Paul concludes the main body of his letter with a final warning a simple test, and a weighty prayer. Let's look first of all at a final warning. Look at verses 1 to 4. This is the third time I'm coming to you. Now we know the first time he came to Corinth was when he brought the gospel to Corinth on his missionary journey. He brings the gospel to them and plants the church, and he labors among them for a year and a half, preaching the Word of God, teaching the Word of God, laboring with great patience among them. That was the first visit. Then the second visit is when he comes, and it's called a painful visit. He speaks about it in this letter right here in 2 Corinthians. It was a painful visit. And it was a visit where there were false apostles, false teachers who had infiltrated the congregation and, and gained a following in them and turned them away from the apostle Paul. And when he came to visit them, there was one person in particular that verbally accosted him in the congregation and the congregation did nothing. Just left him out there to dry. They didn't defend him. They didn't come to his aid. They didn't say anything. And that was the most painful thing to him because he loved them. He was their spiritual father. He had betrothed them to Christ. And yet... They had fallen prey to the false apostles. They had come under their sway. And they had turned against the apostle Paul. So that's the second visit. The third visit is what he's been talking about. I'm coming to you and I'm coming soon. And when I come, I want you to be ready. I want you to turn away from your sins. I want you to repent. I want us to be restored. So he gives a final warning in anticipation of his third visit to them. And he says, every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Now some people think that the, the two or three witnesses, Paul is talking about his visits, the the first visit was one witness. He had warned them, he had taught them, he had he had taught them the truth of the gospel. He had called them to repentance even while he was there. And so some people think that was the first witness. The second time he was there, he warned them even though they publicly accosted him. And some people say that's the second witness. And so when he comes, that's going to be the third witness. And so it will be established that judgment is coming. Other people say, no, that's... That's not what it is. It's not the, the visits that are the witnesses. It's what he's saying is that when he comes, he's going to do things by the book, that there's going to be two or three witnesses that will 
establish his charges against the congregation, and he's going to be following Matthew chapter 18, Jesus' words in verse 15 and following where Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother, but if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church, and if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. What's interesting is Jesus is talking about church discipline. He's talking about judgment. He's not talking about a church service where two or three are gathered in my name and there the Lord is in their midst. Now, that's true. That's, that is the reality, but it's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about the judgment of Christ coming in power with authority, dealing with unrepentant sin, a refusal to repent of sin. In 1 Corinthians, Paul deals with this as well. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, it's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans for a man has his father's wife and you're arrogant, he says. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. He's talking about the removal of someone who professes to be a believer but is unrepentant and arrogant in their sin. And so he says this in verse 4, when you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. That's what Paul's talking about. When a charge of unrepentant sin has been established among two or three witnesses, he's going to come and that's going to be it. He's not going to spare them. He's going to bring with him the judgment of Christ. So that's what he says. I warned those who sinned before and all the others, and I warned them now while absent, as I did when present on my second visit. That second visit, that painful visit where he was publicly accosted, he warned everybody then that if I come again, I will not spare them. Since you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me, He is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. In other words, these false apostles were seeking proof. He said in the passage that we looked at last week that he had performed the 
the signs of a true apostle among them with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. And yet the false apostles denied all of it. They were seeking signs that Christ was speaking in him. And he said, you want signs? I'm going to bring signs. And it's going to be the judgment of Christ if you don't repent. This is a final warning. Christ will deal with you in power, in judgment, if you don't repent. He says in verse 4, For he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. For we are also weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. In other words, if you don't repent, we're going we're gonna to show you power, and it's going to be the power of Christ in judgment. You don't want that. So please repent is what he's saying. If you've been with us for several years, you might remember the the minor prophets that we, we went through verse by verse several years ago. The Lord did some unexpected things in our congregation. It was absolutely astounding. We thought that he was going to encourage us that he was the sovereign Lord ruling over everything, ruling and reigning over kingdoms and nations, and it, it didn't matter what was happening in world events, our God's on the throne, and so we should be encouraged and and be and stand firm in our culture and not worry. We should have peace, all of those things. We thought that's what the Lord was going to teach us in the minor prophets study. And he did teach us those things, but he went deep into our hearts and dealt with indwelling sin and humbled us before him. And that's the way he always works. He works in the heart and he cares about our hearts. And I can remember in Joel, in chapter 2, verse 10, We were looking at this, the earth quakes before them, the heavens tremble, the sun and the moon are darkened, and the stars withdraw, they're shining. The Lord utters His voice before His army, for His camp is exceedingly great. He who executes His word is powerful, for the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who can endure it? And then in verse 12, He says, yet even now declares the Lord, Return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and He relents over disaster. Who knows whether He will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind Him, a grain offering and a drink offering For the Lord your God. In other words, when God is pronouncing judgment, when He's giving a warning, that warning is a mercy of God. It's His mercy. He's saying, turn, repent, stop going the direction you're going, and return to me. And that's His mercy that He will have compassion on you. And Paul's final warning is a mercy to the congregation at Corinth. Turn. 
Stop behaving the way that you're behaving. Stop believing the things that you're believing. And walk in a manner consistent with the gospel. Believe in a manner consistent with the gospel. Because if you don't, I'm bringing the judgment of Christ. You don't want that. A final warning, verses 1 to 4. Secondly, a simple test, verses 5 to 6. Examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you unless you fail to meet the test? I hope you will find out that we have not failed the test. These are the only two imperatives in this text. Examine yourselves. Test yourselves. So Paul is calling them to a self-examination. See if you're in the faith. Now in the Bible, the faith could be considered a body of doctrine. Jude says, contending for the faith once for all delivered to the saints, the faith once for all delivered to the saints, this body of doctrine, the faith, the Christian faith. Paul uses it more generally here. Examine yourselves to see if you're in the faith. What he's saying is to see if you're a Christian. Test yourselves. And the word for test is test in order to prove. And it's, it's a verb form of the same word that he used a little bit earlier where he says, you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me. So you want proof from me, what I want you to do is test yourselves and seek proof from the Lord that you're in the faith. Let me tell you this, God will never move you to doubt your salvation, never. Satan wants you to doubt your salvation, not God. But multiple times in Scripture, you'll see that God calls you to test yourself, to prove yourself, to show that you're in the faith. Examine your life. Examine your doctrine. Examine is your life, your behavior, lining up with the truth of the gospel. And he says this, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you. And really that's what he's asking. Are you in the faith? Are you a Christian? Is Jesus in you? Paul says in Galatians chapter 2 verse 20, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What he's asking you is, have you been crucified with Christ? Is it you who no longer live, but Christ who lives in you? Are you a Christian? Do you have new desires? 
where you desire Christ, you want Him, you love Him, you want to obey Him, you want to follow Him, and you hate sin. When you sin, you hate it. I, I do the things that I don't want to do, wretched man that I am, Paul says. Is, is that you? Do you respond to the warnings in Scripture? You see, that's always a test. When you hear the Scripture, do you respond? When you hear the warnings in Scripture, is your heart broken? See, that's what happened to us here at Bull Street when we were going through the Minor Prophets. We heard the warnings in the Minor Prophets of the day of the Lord, the impending judgment of God that's coming, and the Lord used that to work repentance in the lives of believers where there was renewal and a turning from sin and salvation in the lives of those who were not believing at the time. They responded to the warnings. And really, that is a mark of a Christian. You hear the Word of God. You listen and you respond. You're not hearers of the Word, but you're doers of the Word. And that's the context of this passage right here. I want you to test yourself. It's a simple test. Are you in the faith? Is Jesus in you? Because if Jesus is in you, everything changes. Your, your life changes. Your desires change. Your, your dealing with sin changes. You don't want to sin. And you listen to the Word of God. And when warnings come, you respond. And that's what church discipline is all about. It's when you call a brother or sister to repentance, a true believer ultimately repents. And someone who won't repent, you're saying you won't repent, and that, that's an evidence that you may not be a true believer, and so we put you out and let Satan deal with you out of the church, but a true believer repents and comes back. And that's what we pray for, restoration. We pray that true believers repent and return to Christ, return to the fellowship. It's a simple test. So I want to ask you this. Are you personally responsive to the warnings in Scripture? God's call to repentance. When you read the Scriptures, when you hear the Word preached and you hear a call for believers to repent, do you say, oh, that's not for me. That's for the person on the end of the pew. That's for somebody else because I'm okay. Do you presume upon the riches of His kindness? Paul says in Romans chapter 2, he says, we know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Are you responsive to the warnings in Scripture, God's call to repentance, or do you presume upon His kindness? Oh, God will forgive me. So then, 
I just keep doing the sin that I know I shouldn't be doing without a remorse, a godly sorrow. Examine yourself. It's a simple test. Do you love Jesus? Is He in you? Are you united to Christ? Have you been crucified with Christ? Is it no longer you who live, but Christ and lives who lives in you? Or is it you who live and you're still ruling and reigning in your life? Paul gives a final warning in verses 1 to 4 and a simple test in verses 5 to 6. But number three, a weighty prayer in verses 7 to 9. Paul says this, verse 7, but we pray to God that you may not do wrong. Not that we may appear to have met the test, but that you may do what is right, though we may seem to have failed. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. Your restoration is what we pray for. So the content of his prayers, this weighty prayer that he's sharing with them, this is what we've been praying for you is that they may not do wrong, and then he states it again in the positive, that they may do what is right. And what's he talking about? Some of your translations may say that they may not do evil, but they may do what is right. And he's really talking about moral behavior. Making doing what's in line with the truth of the gospel, and that's what he says. He says, for we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. And what we're praying is that, that you will not do wrong, you will do what is right. In other words, that which is in line with the truth of the gospel. And what he wants them to do is repent and be restored to Christ and to Christ's apostle, the apostle Paul. That's what he wants. That they won't do wrong, they won't side with the false apostles, they will do what is right, side with the apostle Paul, and in doing that, siding with Christ. That's what's in line with the truth of the gospel. So that's the first part of his prayer, and then the second part is that they may be restored He says in the second part of verse 9, your restoration is what we pray for. It was interesting, he tells them the content of of their prayers. Paul and his missionary team, he tells them the content of his prayers in order to motivate them to be reconciled. Have you ever done that? Somebody you know is walking in a manner that is inconsistent with the gospel. You know they shouldn't be doing that and you love them and you're close enough to them to say, I'm praying for you. And you don't just leave it at that. You say, I'm praying that you're gonna do what is right and not what is wrong. And I'm praying for your restoration because that is what we're all longing for is you to be reconciled to God, reconciled to Christ. And we had a church discipline case within the past couple years where we said that publicly and we said, we're praying that you will respond to the whole congregation saying, 
We're calling you to repentance, and we're praying that you're going to repent. We're praying that you're going to do what is right and not what is wrong. And letting you know what we're praying for, we pray that that will also serve as a motivation for you to do what's right. A weighty prayer that they would be restored both to Christ and to the true apostle of Christ. A final warning, a simple test, a weighty prayer. Kent Hughes says this, he says, today the warning stands over the church and especially those who have transmitted the present cultural values into the church so that the church is little more than a Christianized version of modern culture. The warning stands where leadership is built on the cult of personality, where image is everything. The warning looms where worship is showtime, where preaching is entertainment, where God's word is muzzled and the pulpit panders to itching ears. The warning echoes where we are the focus of our worship, our feelings, our comfort, our health, our wealth, where super apostles are preferred over Paul. That was Kent Hughes. He's spot on. The question for us is, do we respond to the warnings in Scripture? You may be sitting here and you say, well, this is for the church at Corinth. This isn't for me. That's for them. The Word of God is living and active And it's relevant right this moment for the believer and the unbeliever. And the application for you is, will you respond to the warnings in Scripture? So test yourself. Examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. Is Jesus in you? Do you love Him? Do you obey Him? Do you want what He wants for your life? Do you want to live under His rule and His reign? Or do you want to live for yourself and rule your own life? Are you responsive to His call to repentance? Is your heart broken over sin? Do you grieve when you sin? you ask for His help to not do it again? Test yourself to see if you're in the faith. Remember, God will never cause you to doubt your faith. Satan will do that. But God will call you to examine your faith, and that's what he's doing here in this this text. Examine your faith. Take a a simple test. And are you moved by the people who are praying for you when you're caught in sin and calling you to repentance Are you moved and motivated knowing that you're loved and cared for and the people who know you and love you want the best for you? They want you to live in a manner that's consistent with the truth. I don't know where you are today and I don't know what you need and I praise God that He knows exactly what you need. And He is able to apply His Word to each individual heart to do exactly what is needed. So we entrust this time to Him. Let's pray.
Father, we love you and we trust you, and we pray that you would have your way among us. Lord, there may be some that are living haphazardly. They're not looking at their own lives and and the effects of how they're living in a manner that's inconsistent with the gospel. They're not living circumspectly. Maybe they're presuming upon the riches of your kindness. And I pray that this scripture would be a warning today and would serve as a mercy to them. That you would call them to repentance. That you would give them grace to turn and to repent. If they're believers, Lord, to be restored to fellowship with Christ. If they're unbelievers, to be born again to a living and abiding relationship with Christ. Today, God, would you do that? But we trust you, Lord. Do whatever you will in Jesus' name. Amen.